Hello, and welcome to the Jill Cruz podcast. This is Jill Cruz. And today I had the pleasure of speaking with Poonam Saxena. And Poonam, well, she does many things. She's a mom, she is a coach, she is a TEDx speaker, an author. And really what she does is she helps parents to connect with teachers so that they can become partners in their child's academic career and basically for the child to reach their full potential and for the parents and the teachers to really get what they want, which is a success for their children and overall, you know, feeling confident and supported. So that's what she does. And we talked about that, but so much more. We really talked about the importance of learning how to advocate for ourselves. And in particular, as women, how important it is for us to learn this. And so if you have smaller children, then, you know, we can teach our kids, right? And she talks about something called safe fails, which I think safe fails applies to any endeavor, whether it's running a business or your health, of course. So we talked about that and how that sets up children to be able to advocate for themselves and and to have that confidence that they need to go out into the world and experience failure without completely falling into a puddle. We also talk about how, you know, as our kids get older and for many women now, it's it's our time. And uh, Poonam talks about how it's her time now to be, you know, fully, fully step into her career. As a mom of four children, you know, I'm sure she was very busy, but she has a degree in psychology. She has a master's degree. And so she's been in the professional and advocacy world for a long, long time. But now she's really stepping into in a much deeper way. So that's exciting. And I think it's inspiring to hear about that as many of us kind of have like a second career or really, really develop and and figure out our passion in our 50s (laughs) or 40s. So um, don't settle. That's the message from this conversation and be an advocate. So I think it's a very important uh, overall conversation and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Hello, Poonam. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Jill. I'm so excited to speak with you. You have such an awesome topic of empowerment, and I can't wait for this conversation. Yeah, me too. And and I, I wanted to start off because I noticed, uh, for those who are listening, you're not going to see this visually, but in your background, I see there's a book called Parent Power. And maybe we could start there because I'm curious to hear more about your book. What What does that mean, Parent Power? We often find that parents are drowning in everything they have to do. And it's a marathon. Actually, it's not. It's a sprint every single day. We wake up and Mm. we're, you know, tied to some schedule the entire day. But then you look at it in the long term and it's a marathon. So the book really is about empowering parents to become involved in their children's lives in a healthy way, but also in a way where the children are also feeling positive about their parent-child relationship. And it just provides strategies. Um, It provides some data because, you know, everybody wants a little bit of data. And then it provides a little bit of snarkiness and personal anecdotes. 
So oh, I like that. <laughs> it's about making parents feel okay about where they are. Yeah. Well, I have two children, 16 and 22 girls. It's a journey for sure. It's definitely a marathon. And the funny thing is now that they're older, it's only just begun. <laughs> it only has just begun. <laughs> we, we focus on that, you know, zero to 18. But once they're out on their own, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, yeah. So is your fo- is the focus in the book about a particular age range or do you cover also areas, you know, later on, like college and beyond? So I, I focus, I actually do the whole gamut. I do the zero to 18. We talk about social mm-hmm. media, discrimination, getting involved in schools, parent self-care, which we don't do enough of. And I am mm-hmm. guilty. Uh, And then we talk about empty nesting, because I Mm -hmm. don't think we talk enough about empty nesting. It's this big, bad word for some, and then it's, you know, a glorious thing for other parents. And regardless, it's, it's a transition. So we have to start talking about what that transition looks like, both for the child and for the parent. So we cover the whole thing. Yeah, I, I, okay, so... Uh, you mentioned social media discrimination and self-care. I would love to hear more about all three of those things. <laughs> I mean, social media is tough because it's so pervasive. I mean, my daughter's still in the house. She's 16 and it, she's going to be 17 in two days. But, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy birthday to me, right? <laughs> and to, but it's uh, so challenging because if you if you as a parent, you see what's going on with it and you're like, oh, I'm not, you know, there's a lot of stress and constant connect, you know, there's a lot of negatives around it. You want to limit it. It's really hard because now you're, you're basically telling your child, well, you can't have a social life. I mean, that's the way they, I think, see it, right? Absolutely. Social media is great and social media is not great. It's an Wonderful opportunity for us to stay connected, to meet new people like we're meeting today. Mm-hmm. But then the part that's difficult is they're exposed to so much. You and I have never been exposed to at that age. And unfortunately, yeah. social media predators prey on those young children. So in my in my chapter on social media, we talk about how to set parameters that are okay for both you and your child. And the first, the very first thing I would say is sit down and talk with them. Mm -hmm. If they don't understand where you're coming from and vice versa, it's only going to be a battle. Mm -hmm. And yes, battles are going to happen, but we need to have parameters and we need to have understanding. And like many of us, we look at, say, TikTok, And you're looking at all of these very promiscuous videos out there. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't want my kid to see that. Well, true. But you need to talk to your child about why maybe that's not aligning with your family values. And let them understand. They may still watch it, but at least they have that in the back of their mind that that's not how my family operates. Mm. And I was, I was the mean mom. I made my kids 
follow me on every social media platform. Uh-huh. And I watched them like a hawk. And I never commented on what they were posting unless it was something, you know, fun or whatever. But if it was negative, we had a conversation about it. How mm. does that impact who you're talking about? So one of my children posted uh, about one of their teachers and the teacher was being difficult or was having a tough day. And my kid tweeted about it. And I said, well, think about how you would feel if someone said that about me on Twitter and I was that teacher. How would you feel? Oh, I would be so angry at them. Probably how their, your teacher's child feels. So put out in the universe what you want for eternity, right? You can never get rid of it. Mm, and good so point. that's the way I've approached social media with my children. Do they post things I don't like? Yes. Do I say it? They're all in their 20s. It's useless for me to say it, but I don't have, right. I don't have to like it. But at mm-hmm. least I've created those boundaries early so that they understood the dangerous part of social media. Yeah, so that communication is so important. And it sounds like also you men- mentioned values. I don't know if I ever really specifically said to my children, that these are our values. But I don't know, maybe if I had to do it all again, which I'm not, I'm 52, there are no more children <laughs> on the horizon. <laughs> oh my gosh. But uh, it's interesting that you yeah. say that because that never really occurred to me as a, as a new mom to talk about my values. And maybe I didn't understand my values as well when I was, you know, 35 as I do now. But I mean, one thing I did do was communicate a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think also what you were saying, and I was actually talking to someone who works, she's a nutritionist who works for me. We were talking about her children and how you know, sometimes the the one course of action is to just tell them how you feel. You know, I'm scared about X, Y, and Z. I'm, you know, I want the best for you in your future. And when I see this happening, it, I get afraid. And that's like a, a different approach, you know, to actually speak your, your fears to your child. Absolutely. Speak your truth, right? And the one thing that we have to remember is that bullying happens in a totally different environment. Does it happens at school now, but now they have social media, they have texts, they have Snapchats, they have all of these different platforms and they're not, their brains are not equipped or mature enough to understand what's going on and how to manage it. It's too much for them. They're exposed to too much too early. Um, On the other side, they're exposed to too much too early and they learn how to cope with it. But are they ready to cope with it? Should they cope with it? And and cyberbullying really does, and I'll use your word, it's it's very fearful because there are no repercussions if you're doing it on a social media platform. Right, right. Although I know in in my daughter's school they had I don't remember all the details, but I feel like there were some forms of bullying that occurred on social media that were students were actually punished for in school. I, I, I don't remember how they did that, but uh, or maybe there was a big discussion about it at least. So the schools are involved too, and I know you you help parents negotiate. Well, I don't know if "negotiate" is the right word. <laughs> partner, we, we but inter- partner. <laughs> 
Partner, partner, partner. Yes. We're, well, that's, that's the thing I always felt with as a parent with my kids being in school was we're partners because the, we both want our child to be successful in school. So I know that's the work that you do, yeah. correct? Is that, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like what you do and how you help parents? My goal is to make sure that every child has an advocate in their school. And the only way to have an advocate in the school for your child is for the parent to be one. And a lot of people get the the word parent involvement and parent engagement confused. They're similar, but they're different. In my view, being involved means you go into the holiday party, you do their little crafts and you leave, and then you never communicate in between those activities. Engaged means that you're talking to the teacher on a regular basis. And I don't mean every day. You know, some people think that I'm talking every day. No, it's, it's just a check-in. Mm-hmm. And engagement means that you're, you're in there, you're partnering, you're communicating, you're asking questions, you're getting feedback. And it can be as simple as we were just talking about social media. You know, it's an easy, it's as easy as a text or an email to say, hey, I just wanted to see how Johnny's doing this week. At home, he's been struggling with math. Do you see the same thing happening in the classroom? Are there any resources that we can provide him at home so that he can be successful? Hmm. Less than less than three minutes. Right. Um, I used to, uh, my daughter, and I told this story plenty of times, so my kids don't mind. My daughters are, and I are not morning people. We are the we are Oscar the Grouches when we wake up. And <laughs> in high school, high school started at seven o'clock. So they were, we were all grumpy, but they had class. I would frequently text their first period teacher and say, good luck. Not sure what you're going to get when they walk in the door. And wow. I would always put a, a smiley emoji. But the point of that was that They were having a tough morning getting started. They probably are going to be grumpy when they walk in the door. They're not being belligerent. They're not being defiant. They're just not awake yet. Give them a little bit of grace. And just me giving the teachers a heads up allowed them to provide that grace period. Or the teacher walking up and saying, you know what? I know you're tired this morning, but we can do this together. That simple communication took a lot of pressure off of me, the teacher, and especially my child. So creating that opportunity, that relationship, that partnership, you actually are creating a supportive team for your child. I'm not saying that my kids are angels by any means, but I also know as a former teacher that children don't always come in to class the same way they did the day before or the day before that. They're carrying burdens that we can never imagine. So we have to, we have to have that partnership more so now than ever before. And your children went to public school? They did. We are public school advocates. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I, my children went to private school during the early years, but then they went to public school for high school. And I, it was a big difference. I felt a a bit of a disconnect from the teachers. 
I love that idea that you can still be in a big school, big, pu- I mean, not all public schools are huge, but, you know, tend to be bigger than private and that you can actually form that partnership, that relationship with the teachers. I love that. And the thing I, that's coming to mind for me that I talk a- about a lot with, uh, I just talk about it a lot (laughs) with anybody who'll listen is um, uh, context versus content. Mm -hmm. And this is reminding me of this because what you're doing is you're actually creating a context for the teacher. Because if you don't, if the teacher has no context, they can, they're only going to be able to go on content, which is a grumpy child. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so maybe if they have that context of, you know, we went to a funeral over the weekend or, you know, her sister is having a hard time or she's having a hard time or whatever it is. Now you're giving that that adult, that partner context so that they can uh, view your child in that context Absolutely. as opposed to just a grumpy kid. So that seems like a really good benefit of and, and not only those instances, but just in general for the for the teacher to have a visual image, you know, I'm sure you met them in person at these school nights and everything, or they kind of have a context of what their family life is is as well. Yeah. So it's not just the individual events, but as a whole, what environment is this child functioning in? Absolutely. Because we know that there is no child. I, well, actually, I should say I believe very strongly, and I think it's true <laughs> that no child wants to go to school and be a pain in the butt to the teacher. They're doing that out of some kind of, like you said, they're dealing with all kinds of things, pain, discomfort, you know, discomfort in the world, fear, like they're dealing with so much stuff. And so they're, they're not misbehaving because they're bad people. They're misbehaving in air quotes because they're struggling. They're having a hard time. Absolutely. And, and the one thing that we forget is that children are people. Right. You know, parents are people. And when we have this view that every single child fits in this mold of education, we're doing them a disservice. And that's where the parent comes in. And again, it doesn't take a lot of time, which a lot of people say, I don't have time for that. Well, you know, you do, because at the end of the day, when your child's in deep trouble, you are going to be taking much more time to deal with that than these little stair-step behaviors. And the, and the yeah. other thing that we, we forget is, I'm going to tell an anecdote in just a minute. The other thing that we forget is children need safe fails. I talk about this ad nauseum, I feel, because we expect our children to be perfect, perfect in school, perfect at home perfect in their extracurriculars. You know, they're supposed to be well-mannered, polite. They're supposed to be perfect. They're not, they're people. And so we have to provide an environment where they have a safety net when they fail. Mm. It's okay. It's okay for them to fail. But if they don't have a safety net underneath them, that support underneath them to talk them through that fail, They're never going to learn coping skills. They're never going to learn how to adapt to belligerent coworker or a bossy um, administrator or boss. And so we have to we have to start providing those opportunities for them. So I'll give you an example. One of my children, one of my four children, by the way, 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> I was having a hard time in high school, really hard time. And, you know, we were talking through it at home. We were having lots of conversation. And then one day, it was lunchtime, the calculus teacher in high school, the calculus teacher in high school, there are, you know, there are 2,000 kids in the school. Calculus teacher in high school calls me and says, I think we need to talk because I see the struggle, I see the anxiety, I see the ability, but I'm not able to break through to lift the child up to do what they need to do and look past all the other. Okay, that's huge. That's a huge step out of a normal parent-teacher-child relationship. Now, this teacher happens to be exceptional, but I believe that all teachers are exceptional because they want children to do well. Mm-hmm. Methodology may be a little different, but every every teacher wants their child to do well. So, you know, we have to cultivate these, these relationships because there was no reason for that teacher to call me other than he saw us, he saw how we work, and he saw my child struggling. And you had developed that partnership relationship with him. Again, this is in high school. Mm-hmm. It's huge. You know, you know we think yeah. parents just fall off in middle and high school. Yeah. That's when they need to <laughs> be the most involved because they're, the child's exposed to so much more than they are K through five. Mm-hmm. It's cute in K through five. And I'm not saying you don't engage in, the, in those years, but six through 12 is when your child needs you the most for a healthy lifestyle for a a supportive lifestyle, for them to feel confident. And when they have that, they all of a sudden begin talking about their challenges in school. Mm, So-and-so was really mean to me. Well, you know what? So-and-so is probably having a bad day. Yeah, that communication, so important. And they know that you're supporting them. You know, like that's, that's, I think, really important. So what happens in college? I'm just thinking, cause I have, I actually, my, my older daughter's in college. My, my younger daughter is in college, even though she's supposed to be a junior, she's actually uh, doing a, uh, it's called the 24 credit general equivalency diploma program. So she's going, getting college credits and her high school diploma mm-hmm simultaneously and she will graduate at the end of her junior year uh, and be a transfer a transfer student so it's a pretty cool program and for anybody listening you know it's a nice option for some kids who are just you know my daughter's she found that school was a, a, a lot of time wasting and because I had homeschooled her for a total of two years over her you know the previous whatever it was eight nine years of school and so uh, she she recognized the inefficiencies of being in a high school. So she's doing that and it's great. But I I feel like in in her case, it's a little bit different because she is a minor. And so I can reach out to the teachers, which I'm going to do now that we've had this conversation. (laughs) But what what about, you know, for our empty nesters? Because I do want to talk a little bit about that. How do we stay engaged when our kids are in school, in, in college, and they're adults, you know, by legally speaking, right? They're adults. I always felt like there was this, you know, it would be inappropriate for me to reach out to a college professor <laughs> about my daughter. How do you feel about that? So 
my my children took some college courses in high school as well. And in Florida, they call it dual enrollment, where you, you're working towards your associate's degree. And I needed to reach the teacher to talk. Well, let me rephrase it. I wanted to talk to the teacher. You can't do that. It's not an option because they are taking a college level class. They are considered independent, uh, at least in Florida. And so what I did was I talked with my child and I said, can you follow up with your professor? I can't do it. It's up to you. This is where you have to start advocating for yourself. Now, in fairness, I would start having them advocate for themselves in elementary school. I got a C on my spelling test. Well, Mrs. Smith, what am I not getting that I can, I need to know for the next spelling test? And it could be as simple as, you know, a, a small dyslexic behavior that is causing the, the spelling words to not align correctly. That's okay. But at least you know. And then at least the teacher knows. So if they, and the teacher's not going to say you're dyslexic, right? They're not going to say that. They're just going to say, oh, well, you're mixing your letters up a little bit. But at least it puts both teacher and student on notice. And those small little things early build upon themselves a building block. So when they do get to college, that they know how to go up to the professor in a class of 300 and go, I am lost. Help me go to or go to the office hours. Now, as far as what parents can do, parents can start early, you know, start early. Let them ask for, let me think, have you paid, have I paid my, my lunch um, tab for the, the week? My mom wants to know. Don't mom, don't do it for them. Let the child ask. Now follow up with the child. But the early we start, we, we create those small successes. When it comes to college, you are reliant on your child. And in my experience, and I have had four children go off to college and leave me as an empty nester, <laughs> I have seen that they are very communicative when they head off to college. So... Unfortunately, for parents, the ball's in the child's court. But mm-hmm. fortunately for the child, it's in their court. Now they have to stand on their own. Now they have to have those fails. And that's where those safe fails, K through 12, are really helpful. Yeah. Because when they get yeah. that first C minus in college, it's not going to devastate them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so years ago, I read an article. It was 2015 by a professor from Stanford, and she was, and it still boils my blood. She said, you know, you parents never allow your children to fail. So they come here and they just don't know how to handle a C. And I chuckled because I had a kid who went to college that year. (laughs) And I said, really? That's interesting. You don't allow Cs, ma'am. If you apply to Stanford and you have a C, you're tossed in the bucket. Right. So how <laughs> how prolific of you to throw that out there and say that when you yourself do not follow that pattern. 
So it is important for them to have those safe bails because when they get to college, they know how to handle them. Wow. They often go to to Stanford. No, we don't need a bunch of straight A's walking around. We need people who are innovative and creative. And I'm not saying Stanford's not. Let me put that out, put that out there. But I'm saying that not everyone fits the same mold. But creating those safe safe, uh, fails really helps wherever they go. And college is not always the post-secondary choice. There's the military. There's vocational school. There's all kinds of opportunities. There's the workforce. So those safe fails help in every single arena. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I want to highlight some things that you said, because I think they this all relates to our health in general, mm-hmm. is safe fails. I love this term. I'm, I'm, I'm going to adopt this term because when you're trying to eat better or, you know, adopt a new meditation or exercise habit or get embedded, you know, at a good time, safe fails. Yes. yes. Because this is this is literally part of the process. And I wonder how many people at, you know, 55 now are just living this life of, you know, a futile endeavor to, to be perfect. That, you know, a lesson, <laughs> you're raising your hands. <laughs> I am. Every morning I wake up and say, I'm going to be good. And three o'clock goes around and I have to have my chocolate. Oh. but this is this is for everything you know it's it's this is such a great lesson about first of all how we can set up our children for success in life but also a reminder to ourselves I I think so many of the lessons that we talk about for children we many of us didn't learn those (laughs) properly well we didn't talk about them we didn't talk about them now we talk about them right yeah yeah. So the safe fail and also small, you mentioned small successes. I think that's really important too. You know, yes, it's okay if you fail child and let's celebrate all of those smaller successes. And what you said about advocating for yourself, teaching your children to advocate for themselves. Oh my gosh, that <laughs> is so, so important. So important because, you know, as I was a stay-at-home mom for 12 years. So like I did everything. For, I mean, they were little, but, you know, I did everything. Sure. And actually, it's interesting. You talk about public school. And I think the public school was really good for us because in private school, they do rely on the parents a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. And so there was a lot of coddling. <laughs> I'll be the first to admit for better or for worse, you know, my kids are great. But once they entered high school, they did, you know, a big, large public high school, they did have to advocate for themselves. And that was a good lesson. And we need to advocate for ourselves in life. Yes. Not just in school. I mean, if we don't learn how to advocate for ourselves, how to speak up when we see something that's wrong, or we know we're being disrespected, or, you know, all these many ways that we have to advocate for ourselves, so this is a wonderful thing for parents and, and grandparents too, right? Because as grandparents, we can buy this book and give it to our children yes. uh, to help our children, uh, you know, for our grandchildren. And also, I love what you said. You know, it's interesting because when you first talked about the Stanford article, I thought, well, wait, what's wrong with that? But, what I, you know, wow, yes. here we have this entire institution, and there are many of them, that's just, that's literally creating, well, I know this is a complex issue. It is. The kids 
the kids put a lot of pressure on themselves and everything. I never, I told my kids, I said, you do not have to go to college. I mean, that's minimum, pretty much a hundred grand at a state school. Mm -hmm. We got to be sure that this is what you want to do. So not everybody has to go to college. You could take, if you have a hundred grand lying around, I mean, you could put, invest that in a business, help your child start a business, right? Right. Or a nonprofit or something. So I've always questioned that. And I think that's really important. But what you're saying too, is that this, well, I don't know if this is what you're saying, but what I'm reading out of it is that there, there is this culture of academics, 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 and getting perfect grades. And then the child, as you said, doesn't learn those, you know, a safe, a safe failure, but also the creativity and the innovation. I wonder if it's compromised, you know, with, with all of these endeavors and, and some schools even taking out um, or minimizing the, the arts or the performing arts. So th that's a very interesting perspective. Thank you for, for bringing that up. Of course, of course. Well, and, and I also want to say, because, you, you know, you do talk about women, that women are the first to not say something. They're happy to go along because... For the most part, we have been raised in a mindset that we should be amenable to everyone and everything and be okay with settling for, oh, no, 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 no. We, we have our safe fails and we need to continue pushing. And because we push, that's where we begin to see cyclical changes. So ta you're talking about healthy eating. You're talking about meditation, healthy mind and body. Who's, who starts that in a household? Generally the woman, because they're the ones cooking. And, you know, if you put a healthy meal on the table, they're likely going to eat it. So when we're talking about that, we should women should not be subjected to a box that confines them. And so I will share a little secret. Um, I am 54 years old, and I am in my first semester of my doctoral program. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you. And it is because I have finally realized that I don't need to be in a box. I have, I have skills. I have aspirations. I have raised my children. They are good people. They are kind people. They are loving people. They happen to be college graduates but they're good people and it's my time. Yeah. And so we, we talk about education and that is my wheelhouse, but education does not only happen in a classroom. Right. It is an, it is an environmental learning and that's how we have to approach it. And women who are generally the head of the household in terms of raising children need to act that way. We're strong. We know what we're doing and we need to we need to be unapologetic about it. I'm not saying be a bully. I'm saying saying be unapologetic about the skills that you bring and the strengths you bring to the table. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> be unap unapologetic about the your strength. Uh, that is so so valuable and so on so many levels. I really really appreciate that perspective. And that's how we're going to bring up strong 
resilient women and and men, young men who can advocate for themselves and who can be successful in life is by setting that example. I think ultimately, probably you would agree, right? We, we set the example. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you said men, and I really, I really want to highlight the fact that men play a pivotal role in how women feel about themselves and the, the mental health of women. I have a very petite daughter who went to a conference two weeks ago with two male teammates in grad school. And one of the other teams said, oh, who's that little girl that you guys brought to put, be on your team? And he said to whoever was talking, he said, she's not a little girl. She's a young woman who's on our team and who is a fireball. And I, I told my daughter, please thank him. And when I meet his mother, I cannot wait to praise her for raising a young man who respects and lifts up young women. Hmm. That's how I raise my boys. But to see that in another young man just makes me feel the world's going to be okay in some capacity that there are protectors out there because that, that is their role. That is one of their roles is to protect their their significant other and their families. And that includes lifting them up. Wow. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that too. I, uh, I feel like that's a very positive place to for us to end sure. because it, it can get a little, you know, it can be challenging when you look at the world and you go, oh my gosh, there's so much that's going wrong. But I'm, I'm glad that we ended with that anecdote that's like, oh, okay, there are some good young men out there. <laughs> and there are some strong, successful young women too. Absolutely. So <laughs> got to focus on that. Yes. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate your input. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Jill. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for listening to that conversation with Poonam. I think you can tell that she is very, very intelligent and passionate and well-researched in her topic. So Poonam is a parent impact coach, a TEDx speaker, an author, a mother of four, and also a regular person with an exciting life. I like that. So you can check out her book, which is called Parent Power, How to Navigate School and Beyond. And she talks about social media, sports, discrimination, and more parent-child topics. So I think you'll enjoy that. Go to her website, which is edu-me, like me, Dot net. And uh, that'll be in the show notes as well. So you can access the link and learn more about Poonam and her brilliance and her passion and how she is changing the world. And definitely check out her TEDx talk. She shares her personal story as a first generation child from another country, from India. So all of that and more. So check that out. And if you are feeling inspired and looking for more education and inspiration, and you know that working with your nature is really the best way to go about improving your health, check us out at winweightloss.com. That's W-Y-N weightloss.com. 
to our blog, which is just forward slash blog, or you can look at our programs and and our team and all of that there. So uh, check us out. And I am very, very much appreciative of your listening and also spreading the word about this podcast, because this podcast is meant to inspire women in our health and to empower, educate, and really take help all of us grow to the next level. Thanks for listening.